Several years ago, I was asked to teach a Bible class on the survey of the New Testament. And I was very excited about teaching that class. And I thought about what are the goals of this class? When you, when you walk away from this class, what do I want the students to take with them? And one of the goals that I had for each one of my students is that each one should know the major theme of that New Testament book. So, for instance, if you take the class and later in life the student encounters the book of Acts, he or she should know that the theme is the expansion of the gospel. The gospel is going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. If the student heard Galatians, immediately the major theme of justification by faith should be at the top of their minds. If it's Philippians, we just walk through that book together. They should know it's joy and rejoicing in Christ. Well, what about 1 John? We're walking through 1 John together. What's the theme? What do I want you to take away? Instantly know about the, the major theme of 1 John. What is it? Do you know? It's love. Love would be the major theme in 1 John. In fact, for years, theologians, pastors, commentators have called John the apostle of love. And we shouldn't be surprised about that, should we? We remember the end of the Gospel of John. What does Jesus ask John three times? Do you love me? Do you love me? And go feed my flock, feed my sheep. John is the apostle of love. And as we look at his book, we see he teaches us all about love. In chapter 4, he teaches us about the love of God. He says, this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. There's that word again, propitiation. You remember that last week? We said propitiation is the turning away of the wrath of God from the sinner to the Savior, where the Savior satisfies the wrath of God and divine justice forever. It talks about God's love to us. In chapter 2, in a few weeks, I think it's, I think it's two weeks from today, he's going to teach us in verse 15 what not to love. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, love not the world or the things that are in the world. So he teaches us about the love of God and what, what not to love, but what about today? We see love in the text today. It's not about God's love towards us or what not to love, but in the present text here in chapter 2, he talks about the love that believers have for other people. Loving others as God has loved us. Look at the first word of the text. What's the word? Beloved. Now, by this point, you know that I use that word a lot. Don't I, Eric? In fact, there was a running joke a few years ago where I was. People would count. How many times is mom power going to say beloved in a sermon today? But why do I use that word to address you, the church? It's because John uses that word to address the church. He, as a pastor, is trying to express his love from pastor to flock. He calls them beloved. I love you in Jesus. And in the same way, I say beloved to you because I love you in the Lord. And I want you to know the truth of God's word. Again, he's the apostle of love. But in this text today, he's talking about a love that flows out of a believer's heart 
to other people, loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, you might ask this question, well, what is John getting at here in this text? Well, it's simply this. Is that the gospel, if you, are, if you truly know Jesus Christ, the gospel affects the way you live your life. That Christianity is not just something that you come in at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning and put on for a couple hours and then walk out the door just to take that hat off. But it actually affects your life on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day guide in your life. If you look back one verse in the text, look at that last verse that we had from last week, verse 6 from chapter 2, because we started to see the rubber hit the road. We started to see where obeying Jesus Christ and today loving others as ourselves, that that is a daily thing. Look back at verse 6. John says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John is saying if we claim to be in the light, we can't walk in darkness. If we claim that we know Christ, we must walk as Jesus walked. Now, in the Bible, that word walk is a daily conduct word. It's not something that you put on and put off at your leisure. It is the way you live your life, that we are to walk the same way Jesus walked, obediently, lovingly. You know, in the Gospel of John, and again, John who wrote 1 John is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. In the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, John writes, and he quotes Jesus, and this is what he says. This is John 13, 34, and 35. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Because of your love for one another. John is giving us a test, if you will. In other words, how do you know that you belong to Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, it's if you love one another. That's one of the tests. Now, I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to come all the way over to this side of the stage. Man, it looks different over here. Got a clearer picture of Josh. That's great. <laughs> I come over here to give you an aside. In 1 John, John basically is going to give us three tests of knowing Christ. Okay, He's going he's to write and say, these are three things that every Christian should have in line in their life if they know the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, you should have a proper understanding of who Jesus is, that he's God and man. We saw that in chapter 1. Secondly, evidence in a, in a Christian's life will be that he obediently follows after Christ. In other words, if you talk the talk, walk the walk, chapter 2, verse 6. But today, you see the third one. The evidence of knowing Jesus will be love from the Christian to other people. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are going to be three tests in 1 John of truly knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to grab hold of that third one because John grabs a hold of it in this text. And today 
we're going to see three things about John's teaching about loving other people as a test for knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the way the sermon breaks down today into these three points. John's going to say that loving other people, first of all, it's an old commandment. It's old. Secondly, it's a new commandment. And then thirdly, that whoever abides, or excuse me, whoever loves, abides in the light. So loving others is an old commandment. It's a new commandment. And then whoever loves abides in the light. Let's look at that first point, the old commandment. Verse 7. Read that with me again. Beloved, there it is. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. You might say, wait, hold on a second. He's saying that something is old and something is new at the same time. How can that be? You know, just this week, two days ago, I had an old car. I had driven it a long time and had 242,000 miles on it. And it had just run its course, y'all. I, I tried to get everything I could out of it, but it had, it had run its course. And it was my old car. So I took it to the dealership and I traded it in. Not for a brand new car, but the car was new to me. It was a used car, but new to me. And I drove away in my new car. And in my mind, the old and the new were two completely different things. My old car was the pilot. I left it sitting there at the dealership. It was gone. It was, it was removed. My new car, I drove home with me. Those were two different things. So in my mind, old and new were two different things. But John is saying there's a commandment in the Bible that's both old and new. How is that? Here's how that is. First of all, the commandment to love others. John says it's an old commandment. What he means is if you open up your Old Testament, you're going to find that commandment way back in the Old Testament. If you open up Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you're going to read, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the commandment was not new. The people of God would already be familiar with it. It had its roots in the Old Testament. And the original readers of John's epistle, if they were Christians, they would have examined the Old Testament. They would have known it was already there. So in that respect, it was an old commandment. However, you saw the verse. Look at verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. So now John says it's, it's new. Well, again, the question is, how is it old? How is it new at the same time? The answer is found in this phrase. Look at it. It's in, it's in verse 8. Which is true in him. Do you see the verse? you see the phrase? It's new which is true in him. Who's the him? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what John is trying to teach us. Between the writing of Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament and the writing of John in the New Testament, what happened? What is something new that happened? What was new was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came. And for the first time ever, 
ever man was able to see what true, perfect love looked like. They had never seen that before. It had never, they had been never been given a clear picture what it truly means to love your neighbor as yourself until they sought Jesus. That's why Jesus says, the new commandment I give you, to love one another how? Just as I have loved you. That was the part that was new. Jesus came and loved them perfectly, magnificently, and they truly saw what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what makes Jesus different from everyone else, from all the chief priests, all the scribes, from all the Levites, was that Jesus was perfect. He never messed up in his love. And that was something new that the people of God were learning. Never had they seen perfect love before. But in the face of Jesus Christ, love was perfected. So John calls it new. Now I want you to think about this with me. Let's just walk through John for just a second. How did Jesus show this new love, this perfect love of his brothers? Think about John chapter 10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And by the way, I know my sheep, they knew me, they follow me, they're in my hand. And I'll never, ever let them go. They shall never perish because I love them perfectly. Think about John 14. Jesus is gathered together with his disciples and he says to them, let not your hearts be weary. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you into myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus had a future plan for his people. He wanted to communicate to that, that to them in love. Other parts of John 14, Jesus told his disciples, I'm getting ready to go away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you and my peace I'm going to leave with you. Not as the world gives peace, but as I give peace. I'm going to make sure that you have peace in your hearts with each other and towards God. But maybe the most beautiful example of love before the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, it came right before he died, didn't it? In John chapter 13, the Bible says that Jesus disrobed and he girded himself with a towel and he filled a basin with water. And the Lord Jesus Christ stooped down just like this and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Their dirty, nasty, stinky feet. And guess who was sitting there getting his feet washed? Judas. But Jesus loved his disciples to the uttermost. Never had anyone seen such an example of perfect love towards their brothers and sisters other than Jesus. And then we know the end of the story, don't we? Because Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He took the nails in his hands and his feet. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he loved his people, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see how much Jesus loved his disciples? 
Do you see how much Jesus loves you? Because Jesus did this for you. Perfect love. The new love demonstrated in the perfect Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So John says today to us, this love is old. It's an old commandment. It's a new commandment. But now, thirdly today, he has one final point. And it's a big point. Because not only does John say that the commandment is old and it's new, but now he says, this is the way you are now to live your lives. This is where the rubber hits the road for you as a Christian. Again, as we said at the very beginning, the gospel affects the way you live your life. Here it is. Because John teaches us that whoever loves should abide in the light of Christ. Look at those verses with me, 9 through 11, one more time. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother, here's the phrase, abides, dwells, lives, remains, is the translation. He abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You can probably tell from the way we ended last week's sermon in this text right here that John is not a big fan of hypocrisy. We all know what hypocrisy is. It's saying one thing and doing another. Have you ever had someone in your life promise you something, but they didn't do it? Now let me bring it home. Have you ever promised someone something and you never did it? That's me. We've all lived with hypocrisy. But John is saying in this text, he, in fact, he jumps back. Look, look at chapter 1, verse 6. You can see where he doesn't like hypocrisy. Because in 1, 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't practice the truth. In other words, we're, we're, we're hypocrites if we say that we live in the light and we walk in darkness. And today, verse 9 says the same thing. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. He's talking about love from the Christian to his brothers. And he's saying it is absolutely meaningless for someone to say, hey, I'm in the light of Christ, but I hate my brother. You remember when I walked over and I said the three tests of knowing him? Proper Christology, obedience to Christ, and then number three, loving your brother. Right here in verse 9, this is where it hits home. Here lies one of the tests of really do you know Jesus as your Savior? For if you say you walk in the light, the Bible says that you will love your brother in Christ. And if we hate our brother, that's evidence that we're not walking in the light, which is evidence that we might really be walking in darkness and not know Jesus at all. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, it's a short psalm, I'm going to read it. It's only three verses. Psalm 133. 
This is a psalm about Christian unity. It says this. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together or dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This past summer, I went to the PCA General Assembly. It was in Greensboro. A long week of meetings. We ended up uh, finishing up late on Thursday night. It was almost midnight. And after we finished, everyone stood up, all the presbyters, the elders, the pastors in that room, we stood up, and we ended General Assembly by singing Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Because in a meeting like that, you'll get lots of different opinions come out during the week, and sometimes the unity seems to be shaky, but we remind ourselves at the very end that we all need to stand in unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this psalm gives us two examples of unity. Let's talk about them. The Bible says in verse 2 of Psalm 133, it's like precious oil on the head. You say, what does that mean? Here's what would happen. In the Old Testament, it was an environment that was kind of hot and sticky, and things were kind of smelly. It wasn't a very nice environment. Uh, so in, in the midst of that, there would be an anointing of Aaron, who was the high priest, and they would pour oil down Aaron's head. It would run down his hair. It would run down his beard, the Bible says. And that was something that was pleasant, enjoyable, something that would feel good and smell good in an environment that really didn't feel good or smell good. And the Bible says that's what Christian unity is like. When everything around you smells bad in your relationships or feels bad in your relationships, unity is like that oil that feels good, smells good. It's, it's pleasant. And then in verse 3, it says, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on Zion. What does that mean? In 1998, I got to go to Israel. Went, spent three weeks there. Just north of Galilee, there's a big mountain. It's called Mount Hermon. Really tall. Okay? And um, it's very cold up there. It's cool and frosty up there. Okay? But when you go south in Israel and you're in Jerusalem, Judea, it's kind of deserty and hot and sticky. Have you ever been working in the yard in the summer and you've been all hot and sticky and you walk maybe into your house and the air conditioning's on and you get that refreshing coolness? Maybe you've been at Carowinds, some of you, and you've gone to the refreshment zone, the cool zone where the, the water's blowing and the fans are blowing and you're hot and sticky and you stand there and you get this refreshing breeze. That's what this is saying. It's like the dew of Hermon, that cool, frosty wind of water coming down from the north of Israel, coming down south, it would hit Jerusalem. And when everything was hot and sticky down in Jerusalem, you'd have this cool, frosty wind, and it would feel so good. It was pleasant. The Bible says that's what Christian unity is like. It's like everything being hot and sticky and nasty, but then you step into this refreshing breeze. It's pleasant to each other. It's also good and pleasant to God. The problem is for you and for me is that as we try to love each other in the Lord, things aren't always feeling good and smelling good, are they? Things aren't always cool and frosty. A lot of times they're hot, they're sticky, they're stinky. You, you feel like an absolute mess. 
Why? Because on this side of glory, we deal with our own sin and we deal with the sin of other people. And the Bible asks this question, how are you and I supposed to love each other in the Lord in the midst of our own sinfulness? Because let's just say it clearly, on this side of glory, I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to offend you at some point. On this side of glory, you're going to make me mad. You're going to offend me. You might do something that I don't like. When that happens, how are we to deal with it? And the Bible doesn't say it might happen. It says it will happen. And Jesus knew that. And do you know he addressed both situations in the Bible? The Lord Jesus did. He addressed the situation when we offend someone else. He also addressed the situation when others offend us. Let me show them to you. Open to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. The book of Matthew, chapter 5. This is verses 23 through 25. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. This is about a time where we've messed up with someone else. Here's what it says. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So if you're in a situation where you realize you've messed up, that you've offended your brother, the Bible says, what do you need to do? You need to go. But you have an individual, we, we have an individual responsibility to go to our brother. Look at the other side, Matthew 18. This is Matthew 18, 15 through 16. Matthew 18, 15 and 16. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's saying is if, if you're in a situation where someone's sinned against you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go to that person. So in the Bible, you have these two situations where you've messed up or someone's messed up with you, but what's the solution to both? It's the same thing. You have an individual responsibility. We have an individual responsibility to go to our brothers in the Lord and make things right. You know, we can understand this one. You know, if we've done something wrong, what do we tell our kids? Go tell them you're sorry, right? We can understand going to the person. But this one over here, this is what we have a hard time with. Someone else has messed up with us, and there's a tendency for us just to sit right here. We're going to stay right here, and we're going to wait on that person to come to us and apologize. And we're going to stay right here until that person comes. The Bible says that's not the thing to do because that's your brother. That you have an individual responsibility to go to him. A wise pastor told me, this is about eight months ago, he says, Adam, when this thing works biblically right, that this person coming this way and this person coming this way are going to actually cross in the middle. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's the way the Bible's intended it. And what the Bible has intended us to do with each other 
is we need to be using at least five words with each other all the time in these situations. Now, this is profound. Are you ready? This is groundbreaking stuff. Get your pens out. You might want to write this one down. There's five words that we need to use with each other in situations like this. You ready? Number one, if you're in this situation and you've messed up with someone else and you go to them, you know what we need to say? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But sometimes pride gets in the way. We want to do anything but say we're sorry. There's no way I could have messed up. But the Bible says go. Humble yourself. Say you're sorry. And if you're this person who's been offended and you're coming this way with this person, what's the three words you need to say to this person? I forgive you. I forgive you. It's profound, isn't it? I'm sorry. I forgive you. Those are words I try to teach my children. Yet sometimes we as adults, we stumble all over them because of pride, because of arrogance, because, man, we want to hold on to something so tight we just can't let it go. There's a great book on this. It's written by Jerry Bridges, if you know that name. Um, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins, and he says this about anger. He says, anger is never, ever neutral. It's noxious. And if you let it remain in your heart, it will be like poison in your soul. And here's what happens, he says. Anger turns into resentment. Resentment turns into bitterness. Bitterness turns into enmity. Enmity turns into strife. And strife turns into all forms of malicious hatred, one person towards another. And that's the way the world operates. But, beloved, we are not of this world. We are the body of Christ. And let it never, ever be so in the body of Christ. Let us run to each other, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven us. Because when we realize everything that Jesus did for us, when we realize how much we've been forgiven that Jesus got down on his hands and knees and washed those feet, that Jesus stretched his arms and died for sinners who didn't deserve his forgiveness. And we receive that and we know that. Yet we can't forgive our neighbor. We can't forgive our brother. If we say we know Jesus and we continue to walk in darkness not forgiving them, then we don't really know Jesus at all. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you say you walk in the light... And you walk in darkness. You don't know Jesus. Let me end with this quote from Francis Schaeffer. Schaeffer says this, We must all continually acknowledge that we do not practice the forgiving heart as we should. And yet the Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are to have a forgiving spirit even before the other person expresses regret for his wrong. The Lord's Prayer does not suggest that when the other man is sorry that we are to show a oneness by having a forgiving spirit. Rather, we are called upon to have a forgiving spirit without the other man having made the first step. So if you're standing here waiting, stop and go to your brother. We may still say that he is wrong, but in the midst of saying he is wrong, we must be forgiving. 
John himself learned to love at this point, for early in John's life, he was known as one of the sons of thunder. He wanted to call down fire from heaven against those who rejected Jesus. But as he came to know more of the Spirit, that which he was of, the Spirit of Christ, he came increasingly to call for love among the brethren. Beloved, as we close here today, we're reminded that, yes, love is an old commandment, deeply rooted in the Old Testament, but it's also new because we've, given, we've been given the new example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it's time to apply that to our lives. This is where rubber hits the road. Are you angry at someone today? Have you offended someone today? And do you need to go to that person to make it right? Are you offended by something that someone else did? Are you willing to go to that person to make it right? This is where the rubber hits the road. And let's be quick to do the things we teach our children to do. Let's be quick to say, I'm sorry. Let's be quick to say, hey, I forgive you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be quick to love as Christ loved us. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, 